Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. My guest today, Dion Searcy, traveled to the Central African Republic to report on a story that had previously led to the murder of other foreign journalists. In July 2018, three Russian journalists were killed in the Central African Republic while investigating Russia's growing presence in the country. Their murder last year, however, has only increased international attention on Russia's shadowy aims in the Central African Republic. Dion Searcy is a reporter for the New York Times, and her story, published in late September, exposed evidence of Russian involvement in illicit diamond mining. More broadly, though, her story explains and identifies the contours of Russia's growing political and commercial interests in the Central African Republic. At the center of this story is a man named Yevgeny Prigozhin. He is a Russian oligarch and close ally of Vladimir Putin. He was also indicted in the United States for his role in interfering in the 2016 presidential election. He is also the owner of a mining company that has extracted millions of dollars worth of diamonds from the Central African Republic. This has been done through legal mining operations, but also likely through illicit mines operated by armed rebel groups. We kick off discussing Evgeny Prigozhin before having a broader discussion about Russian involvement in the Central African Republic and what that signals about Russian-African relations more broadly. I've posted Dion Searcy's article on globaldispatchespodcast.com and encourage you to read it. It also includes some stunning images from photographer Ashley Gilbertson. And before we begin, a note from Northwestern University's online master's program in global health. You can learn how to make a meaningful difference in places where it is needed most. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com and click on the ad to learn more, or go to sps.northwestern.edu slash global. And now here is my conversation with New York Times journalist Dion Searcy. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So he is a, a former chef of Putin, they call it, who has sort of inserted himself into Putin's inner circle. He was indicted last year accusing to help finance information warfare. He was one of the people sort of indicted yeah. from the Mueller probe, right? Exactly. Um, to disrupt the 2016 American election. And 
how is it that he became involved in the Central African Republic? Well, um, you know, this is a little murky, but what it looks like he has done is, you know, Russia in general has has kind of inserted itself into a lot of um, countries in the continent of Africa. And in the Central African Republic, it's it's kind of a long tail of um, that involves a lot of geopolitical interests and especially France. Um, the Central African Republic has been at war for, you know, a very long time. I mean, they've really had some kind of conflict every, every decade since um, independence from France. And there is a giant peacekeeping, a UN peacekeeping mission there. And the French had their own peacekeeping mission there and um, a couple of years ago decided to pull out. And the president of the Central African Republic needed help and Russia just saw that opening and went in and decided to send troops and arms and Prigozhin. Um, it appears from my reporting that companies affiliated with him went to work. I mean, they, everything from mercenaries were sent in and also a mining company was um, created that has ties to him. So it was essentially, you know, Ru uh, a French withdrawal. Um, they had what was called, I think, Operation Sangari, um, yeah. which uh, which they deployed in parallel with UN peacekeepers in like what 2012, 2013-ish, um, uh -huh. as you know, the the conflict in the Central African Republic was getting worse. But you know, it, it was just that opportunistic um, moment that Russia seized when when France pulled out. Right. I mean, the, the Taudera, President Taudera, the Central African president, asked Russia for help. Um, I heard stories. There was some kind of meeting on the sidelines of a UN, a UN um, meeting or something where he uh, had approached Putin and he traveled to Sochi to ask Russia for help. And Russia was really ready. Um, they were already you know, making advances into the continent. I mean, they, they have involvement in in Guinea, in Madagascar, in a few other countries. And, you know, everything that these countries have in common are vast natural resources and countries that really need military help or, or otherwise. So what does Russian involvement in the Central African Republic look like today? Well, it started pretty interestingly with, as I mentioned, with a mining company being opened up, but also these these really interesting little soft power tactics. Um, Facebook groups popped up with you know guys with "I love Russia" T-shirts on. They set up a, the mining company sponsored a radio station that has a bigger reach than state radio, in fact, and offers lessons in Russia and some. Russian music sometimes. Um, they went into schools and created Russian language programs. They um, sponsored, Lobai, this mining company, sponsored a beauty contest. Miss, Miss Centrafrique was, was a big contest last December or so. Um, and, and, well, and then there's that uh -huh. wild YouTube video that yeah. uh, that children's cartoon that you uh, linked to in, in your article, and I'll, I'll link to on the homepage of, of the podcast, 
which was kind of nuts. <laughs> it was kind of nuts just because it's so blatantly propaganda. I mean, you look at it and it almost is laughable. I mean, I showed it to my 13 year old son who could not quit laughing. <laughs> Even if you don't speak French, obvious. it's worth yeah. watching. You have this like Russian bear asleep in hibernating in a snowy winter, <laughs> racing down the continent to save, you know, the African elephant from approaching like hyenas it's, yeah it, <laughs> the hyenas were an interesting touch so <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's really wild um and that was shown in fact to children before a soccer tournament that this company sponsored it was an outdoor screen they set up and people gathered around because there aren't a lot of outdoor movie screenings and um that's what they did. So, I mean, they really kind of have tried to enter the web of, you know, local, local life. I mean, they put up billboards all over and you can see these guys, you know, we were getting up early one morning to go out, you know, at 5 a.m. to travel on some pretty bad roads out to, um, to the hinterlands. And, um, you see these guys, white guys in plain clothes, like kind of like khakis and, you know, that kind of outfits, scruffy beards in the backs of pickup trucks with guns, you know, rolling around at five or 6am and that's the mercenaries. And, and so this soft power that Russia, you know, is, is deploying in the central African Republic is, is in the service of pretty clearly resource exploitation. I mean, it seems that way. Um, clearly, the, they are, you know, the Russians sent a few military officers and then these other mercenaries who were pretty sure tied to Prigozhin, um, who everyone is sure is tied to Prigozhin. Um, they sent them in to train the Central African Republic military because these guys are under uh, an arms embargo from the UN. I mean, they have been training literally with like sticks, you know, and pretend guns for the past few years. And so Russia came in with real military trainers and with arms, importantly, and distributed them to these soldiers. But and not, not, it should say, in violation of the UN. They, they got like a, a, they got a waiver, a, yeah, they basically, got, exactly. from the Security Council to do this. The UN completely endorsed this. <laughs> so they started training these guys and at the same time um, negotiated a peace agreement because the, the country is really fascinating in that 80% of it is controlled by rebel groups. Um, there was a huge war when, you know, it starts like many, many wars, I feel like, in, in the world start when there's a group of, you know, um, people who are disenfranchised, who are in the rural areas, who are abandoned by the government. This happened to be Muslim groups who came into the capital, staged a coup, war broke out. You know, UN officials were worried about genocide between Muslims and Christians. And the aftermath are all these little pockets of rebel groups um, that have changed alliances. It's not no longer a religious war, but um, just pockets of groups all throughout the country who have their little fiefdoms. A lot of those fiefdoms are based on diamond mines and gold mines, too. I mean, this country has vast resources, but some of the highest quality diamonds in the world. And these rebel groups fight over them regularly and just you know, in, in trapped citizens, regular farmers, and, and, you know, there's so much violence and so many people have been killed in the countryside. But um, the Russians came in and said, hey, maybe, you know, the, the president was trying to negotiate this peace agreement and the Russians helped. And Prigozhin, one of the warlords told me that Prigozhin himself was at these meetings, at least one of these meetings, where the armed groups got together and with the government and negotiated a deal. 
Um, fascinatingly, the deal involved making the warlords cabinet ministers. Mm-hmm. So these guys who, you know, had been on murderous rampages now were suddenly folded into the government, which, you know, the Russians had a huge hand in because, you know, they were really good friends. You know, Putin had become good friends with Taudera and um, by giving all this help to them and also a former military um, intelligence official had been named as the president of the Central African Republic's top security advisor. And so the Russians had this front door, you know, front row seat Mm -hmm. in the government um, to to help advise for choices. And so they were really, they're really in there. Well, I mean, on the one hand, you know, what you're describing, you know, could be interpreted as, you know, a completely sort of legitimate exercise in in state building and nation building. Absolutely. Uh, you know, which and, is, and, yeah. Right. And it came about as, you know, both France and America, you know, there was this huge vacuum that mm-hmm. was left because America essentially has no African policy right now. And, and France had, you know, gone out of there. And people were really upset when France left. There's a weird psychology about France, even though they were the colonial overlords. People feel this affinity for them there. And Taudera himself had talked about how disappointed he was when the peacekeeping mission was over. And so, you know, Russia, for sure, I mean, a lot of people give Russia credit for helping to negotiate this peace deal that has, for the most part, Held. I mean, there have been a couple major acts of violence, but, you know, most of the groups are still involved in it and have still um, called the truce. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, a lot of UN-backed peacebuilding work around that region involves just trying to strengthen the, the government. And, and here it seems that Russia, ostensibly, was working to strengthen that central government and broker that peace deal, which is probably why, you know, the Security Council enabled them to to kind of, you know, break that arms embargo to train up right. Central African forces. Right. Um, you know, but on but, the other but hand... Are, yeah. yeah, exactly. There are, there's this huge question around ulterior motives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every diplomat I talked to just kind of raised their eyebrows, you know, about this and wondered because... This mining company has been set up, but more than that, the mining company, I mean, Central African Republic for many years had every single diamond that came out of there was considered a blood diamond, which is a diamond that funds, you know, conflict and, um, you know, illegitimate rebel forces, I guess. And so, um, slowly it's been able, as the president has been able to gain control of certain parts of the country, um, the Kimberley process, which is this really a trade organization kind of, um, meant to vet and make sure that, that, um, the minerals aren't financing rebel groups had signed off on some, some areas of the Central African Republic to say that their diamonds were okay to, you know, trade from. And, uh, the Russians set up a totally legitimate legal diamond mine mining, you know, company, mining company. And um, but what's more troubling is the fact that they've been spotted in other areas where clearly warlords have control of mines, where where diamonds from these areas, you know, are considered really you know, not okay. Yeah. Diamonds. Well, I mean, this is what your reporting uncovered. This, this very directly uncovered this ulterior motive that, in fact, you know, Russian mercenaries are supporting and working with these illicit 
mines held by rebel groups opposed to the government. C- can you just describe what you found in, in, in your reporting to that end? Sure. Um, well, fascinatingly, as the as the mining company set up um, was registered, you know, in Bangui, the capital. Um, a logistics company and a security company were also set up. Now, you could say maybe that was just to transport gear, you know, military gear, which they were helping out to do. Um, but, you know, other people have said that they were using these transport companies, the logistic companies and the security company to secure mining equipment out in the hinterlands where clearly you know, they're not supposed to be um, by the legal rules uh, that the Central African Republic itself has set up. Um, there have been allegations that they have gotten contracts to work in these areas, but not through parliamentary, you know, means set up. Like there, one, one um, parliamentarian complained that they do these deals in the dark of night. Warlords were complaining about that too. They're getting some kind of underhanded government sanctioned deals to be out in these areas. Or perhaps, you know, they are just negotiating with warlords themselves mm-hmm. who they have good relationships net with now that they've helped negotiate this peace deal. Which of course undermines so, yeah. that broader nation building project pretty directly. Pretty directly. And so, um, you know, I sat in the living room of a warlord in uh, an area that in of the capital that is not under government control called PK5. And he told me that, you know, he his his group, his rebel group had spotted, you know, Russians out in mines in areas that they control near the border with Sudan. And they're they're long established diamond smuggling routes in the Central African Republic through Sudan through Cameroon, through Chad. I mean, everybody knows diamonds are leaking out of that country, you know, all the time. And so the fact that Russians are out there in these areas, you know, right along these smuggling routes are are pretty, it's just like a whole body of circumstantial evidence that seems pretty overwhelming. And in fact, some of the smuggling routes go through um, traditional nomadic herder cattle routes. And the Russians, one of the soft power tactics they did was set up slaughterhouses and um, butcher shops and things along those cattle routes, obviously to make friends with the Fulani herders who are out there. And, you know, a lot of people suspect that they did that not to just play nice with the herders, but to make sure they have free passage for diamonds along smuggling routes out in those areas. So it's all pretty fascinating stuff. Do we know where that money is going? Well, there's just speculation. I mean, I, I I have no idea where the money is going. I have no idea what they're doing with what anyone is doing with diamonds or where they're they're winding up. But um, you know, some, one security analyst suspects that um, this is just kind of a way for Prigozhin to finance his his interests. I mean, Putin has kind of given him free reign in various areas. And it looks like he's really, you know, run with that in, in Africa. Um, and he needs a revenue source. And so maybe that's what he's doing here is just in these areas in, in Madagascar with, um, you know, various minerals in Guinea with bauxite, the, the ambassador of Russia to Guinea 
um, got on board with the president of Guinea's campaign to change the constitution to have an extra term in office. And all of a sudden, that Russian ambassador is now head of Russia's big bauxite interests there. And, you know, that's it's it's just very fascinating if you look at the way that they have you know, really gone into these countries. It's and, like mercantilist. Um, it's like, yeah, it's, it, it's yeah. interesting, but you know, um, the, uh, you know, we do the same things in places Americans do. And if you look at China's interests in Africa, it's also very fascinating in how they have been, built stadiums. You know, I lived yeah. for four years in Dakar and, you know, they, they have built a giant wrestling stadium and mm. a museum of black civilizations. And, you know, it's, it's just really interesting. Um, newer it seems with Mm -hmm. russia which is kind of interesting it's like a a new iteration of this kind of you know race to exploit resources in africa exactly and that you know the central african republic also has these unexploited um uranium deposits too which makes everybody nervous Mm. about interest there and that's you know i think there's a lot of um wild speculation and conspiracy theories that can be drawn so you have to be careful um about what you what you suspect there but um there are these really amazing examples of ways that they have gone in and how they have been welcomed in many many countries also so there's this one incident i believe it was in Bambari that you described in your piece uh, in which Russian mercenaries, it would seem, uh, were accused of pretty widespread human rights abuses. Yeah. Um, Could you, and that anecdote to me seems like it has like a lot of explanatory power. Could you describe what happened there? Sure. Um, Bombay has been this crossroads for violence. I mean, rebel groups have fought over the territory for a long time. And it was this really fascinating incident where um, earlier this year, the president wanted to visit the area and um, was warded off and said, no, you can't go there. Um, and the the rebel warlords had told him that. And he said, I'm coming anyway. And he tried to go the cabinet ministers and everyone went ahead of him and you know, fighting broke out and he, um, everyone fled. And the next day, the Russian mercenaries in the central African military, um, started rounding up people just had mass arrests because it was an embarrassing in- incident. You know, the president couldn't even visit part of his own country. Um, it was this really, you know, sh- kind of shameful incident, I guess. And so everyone was angry. They swept up dozens of Muslims. This is a Muslim area that they presumed were part of the fighting. Um, and one guy who got you know swept up in this web, I guess, is a shop owner. He sold cigarettes and he woke up in the morning and was, you know, stuffed a bunch of money in his pockets because he was going to restock and was rounded up by these arrests and they found all this money on him. So they suspected him and they, they, you know, kept him, they took him to a Russian training facility nearby um, where the mercenaries were training the Russians. And over the course of four days, he said he was beaten and hogtied and, slashed and he showed me opened his mouth and showed me his tooth had been like they put his mouth on a table and whacked his head or something and knocked a tooth out and he showed me you know scars all over his body but they also hacked off his pinky they said and he he looked around and saw another man you know as he was being dragged someplace there and had two 
fingers missing, lying in a pool of blood. And, you know, he, he contend, contends that other people were also tortured, but his, he was, you know, let go because his family got worried about him and called a pretty notoriously outspoken um, parliamentarian who happened to represent that region. And that guy called, you know, the, the military, he called all his contacts, he called the UN, um, and they were able to find this man and release him. And, um, he was free and then started telling his stories and then started worried about being threatened. And the UN though, um, believed him enough to alert the central African government that, um, there had been these allegations of detention and torture carried out by Russians. And they said specifically individuals of Russian nationality in their report to the president. And they shared documents that supported the claims. And yeah, I, I mean, it just seems to suggest that Russia is willing and able to do kind of the Central African government's kind of dirty work for it. Perhaps. I mean, there's there. It, it does seem obvious that there's a lack of, I guess, military discipline in these guys that are coming. I mean, you know, just in what they're wearing, their locals say they see them drinking at night, the, the mercenaries, you know, in bars. I mean, the kinds of things that, you know, a very high-end disciplined, you know, military trainers maybe might not do, maybe they would. Um, um, but, you know, I think the worry is with the track record of human rights abuses that, that the mercenaries have in other places. Um, it feels like people are really nervous about this. And these are the guys who are training the Central African military, as it is folding in rebel fighters into its forces, because that was part of the peace deal. So, you know, it's a big job. And the, this, is a, this is a military that already, you know, has been accused of some heinous human rights crimes. So three Russian journalists were, were murdered trying to, it seemed, report on some of the same topics you were reporting on. Uh, in the Central African Republic, on on Russia's involvement in the mining industries and in, in diamond mining, like I, I guess, how large did those murders loom as you are trying to report out this story? Oh, hugely! I mean, it was it was a really um, scary reporting trip. Um, one of the one of the most you know nerve wracking, I guess. Um, I just tried, we tried to be very careful. I was with photographer Ashley Gilbertson and we um, just made sure to ask permission for everywhere we went. I mean, the Russian journalists, um, some, some have said that they showed up without, you know, having things really lined up completely. I don't know. I, there's just a lot of speculation about what happened, but most people, you know, think that they, I mean, it's just, again, a lot of circumstantial evidence pointing them to um, the subject that they were trying to work on and a weird set of circumstances in how they were all murdered. Um, is, is there anything else about this reporting trip that you'd want to highlight that we didn't hit on? Um, yeah, you know, I think that lost in a lot of the reporting on, you know, that there's a sort of a titillating factor of, you know, Russians and blood diamonds and, and that kind of thing, but are all these people who are in displaced persons camps, who have no, you know, health care, who, you know, are out in the middle of 
of nowhere caught in a lot of crazy violence and, and can't get to their homes. And I think it's just one thing that in a lot of this reporting that we forget about regular people. You know, I met a a 14-year-old girl who was shot in the face by rebel fighting um, and is still has, you know, she's mentally messed up. She has this big hole in her face. Her grandmother doesn't know what to do with her because she has the mental capacity of a three-year-old, you know, and, and these are the kinds of victims out you know, with, with no access to anything. I mean, people, people in these camps are wearing the same clothes that they fled in years ago. I mean, many of the men that I talked to were wearing jeans that had no inseam. I mean, it was as if they were wearing dresses, right? Because the inseams had worn out because this is like what they have. I mean, women were selling, um, onions by the quarter because no one, because they didn't have anything else to sell, but also because the customer base wasn't there for anything more than, you know, a quarter of an onion to buy. So, I mean, I think the kind of poverty and destitution that is being um, exploited here by a lot of people, by, by Russians, by the government, by, you know, Americans in France before them, you know, have it just really gets lost. And I think that's an important point to make. Uh, well, Dion, thank you so much for your time and for your reporting. It was, it was a tremendous article, and uh, just thank you. Thank you for doing it. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm, I appreciate the interest. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Dion. That was a very helpful article. She formerly served as the bureau chief for West and Central Africa for the New York Times. Now she is on the politics beat, and I was thrilled to be able to discuss with her this article, which in my mind, offers the most context for understanding Russian involvement in the Central African Republic. This is one of those stories that, you know, I had seen kind of pop up every once and again over the last couple of years. So I was glad to try to be able to put it all together in this conversation with Dion. And I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, you can show your support for the show by becoming a premium subscriber, unlocking bonus episodes, and of, and of course, also getting a complimentary subscription to my daily morning news clips service, Don's Digest. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash global dispatches or clicking on the links on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Please do so. It really helps. Thank you. See you next time. Bye.